If you don't know, my name is Ian, and I'm the, the family life pastor here. And uh, Travis, our lead pastor, is away. He's ministering at Johnny and Friends in North Carolina. And so I get the, the blessing and the joy this morning to, to bring the word to you. And, uh, and so let me just, let me just um, open us up in prayer uh, before we get started. God, your grace is enough. And we can sing that loudly and boldly, God, and with joy this morning for what you have done. Lord, you've brought us together, and whether we're here in person or watching online, Lord, wherever we are, your grace is enough. It is sufficient. Lord, and we praise you for that. So I ask these words that, that I speak this morning come from you, Lord, and that our hearts are open to hear this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. With that, uh, you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 this morning. We've been, kind of, we took a, a, a left turn a little bit and went into the book of Acts for a couple weeks uh, just as we're gearing up for the fall. And like Travis has said, we were not planning on this, but sometimes you just got to go where the Spirit's leading. And part of that is coming from this heaviness that Travis has had, this burden that he's had, where, where we just need to get back to Jesus and hear about the church, as flawed as it is, as flawed as it was, we don't make any, any misconceptions about this perfect organization, this perfect group of people, but there was something about the church in Acts, something about the early church in Acts that marked them that led to the growth of the church in, in, in an explosive way that we wanted to get back to and look at. And not that, not that Summit was off course in any way. You're good people. Hear me, hear me. But there's a, there's a heaviness and there's a burden where we want to keep the focus on Jesus. Where if you are at Summit, we want you to know and we want you to buy into making much of Jesus. More than anything else, more than even Summit, is that we are marked by our pe- as a people, like it says in Acts, who had been with Jesus. And we're not with him physically, but I know spiritually he's in our hearts this morning, and that should do something. We should look different, act different, talk different, and relate differently to each other. And I don't know about you, but I think that's good to, to bring back to the forefront and every once in a while. So I'm thankful that we are back in the book of Acts this morning. And so one, one thing about chapter 10 that, that I really love, and this is one of my favorite passages, and it's a long one, and it's repeated twice. It's repeated in all of Acts chapter 10, and then in Acts chapter 11, the first couple of verses, he actually repeats it. So if you want something to be important, you say it more than once. If you want something to be important, you say it more than once. If you want something to, to be important, you say it more than once, until people nod and say, yes, okay, this is important. And so Luke... Luke records this story twice, which you don't see a lot of in Scripture. But he, he recounts Peter's experience with Cornelius, and then in Acts chapter 11, he goes back and he retells the entire thing. There's a reason for that. 
we should pay attention because this is actually one of the most important events in the history of the church. So I cannot over, overstate the importance of what's happening in these verses. This is a transitional moment in the, in the life of the church. And we're going to get into that. But God is about to do something new. He's about to shake the church. He's about to shake the world in Acts chapter 10. And it sets some people off. And I pray... And, and, this, and this hit me as I was preparing this. I know that God is not, is not doing necessarily a new work in terms of the gospel. But I believe in this passage, in these verses, I believe that God wants to do a new work in us. A new work in the church. Where we are awakened to the power that he wants to operate through us. Through the Holy Spirit to do something in Summit Community Church. So I want to, to take the spirit of this moment in history and where I think there's parallels to what we are facing today, where there's, there's hesitation, there's, there's persecution and opposition, like Travis was talking about last week. Go back and watch that message because it all ties in together. As God moves in the church, as God, as God shakes the foundations of everything that we know to be true, there's pushback. There's opposition. And we're going to face that. We're going to see that. What we want to do can only be done through the Spirit. I want this to be a church. I want you to be a people that is operating in such a way that's only possible through the power of the Spirit. Not through clever marketing. Not through strategy, which is always important. But one thing that we see that marked the early church is that they were a people of the Spirit who had an encounter with Jesus that, that transformed them. And so I believe, I believe that this is a time for us where God wants to wake us up. And so we're in the book of Acts to see a people who were awakened. Flawed, imperfect, yet keyed into something. We see in, in, in early in Acts how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, to the fellowship. They were a people on mission, devoted, dedicated, preaching with boldness wherever they went, no matter what they encountered. And as much as that was available to them today, I think that's available to us. If we allow God to do that in our hearts. So we're going to read Acts chapter 10. I'm not going to try to rush it, but it's a lot. And so bear with me before we get started. So Acts chapter 10, if you're there, uh, read along with me. Starting with verse 1. At Caesarea, Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, called him by name. And he started, stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? 
And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one, who, uh, one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Mark that, underline that. We're going to come back to that. That's one point that we need to look at. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. Without hesitation, go, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is your reason for coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. Mark that. Put a little note there. That's our second thing that we need to pay attention to. The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, this is important as well, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Pay attention to that one. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. But I ask, why you sent for me? What is going on? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. 
So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Big, big news. As for the word that, was, that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with the power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the anointed one by God to judge, to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. And in chapter 11, he, he goes back to Jerusalem because it had started to already make news about what had happened in the house of Cornelius. And Peter recounts this story and amazing things happen. But going back to the beginning of this chapter, I want you to see where this all gets started. How this comes about. Not through anything that Peter did, not through anything that Cornelius did. Cornelius was in Caesarea, Peter was in Joppa. But all of this comes about through divine initiation. Divine initiation. God started this through a vision and a dream. Where God wanted to do something new and shift the trajectory of the church. And we're not saying that God is starting a new work. We're not introducing some new gospel or new teaching here at Summit. Don't worry. The gospel of Jesus is power enough. But we're, we want to emphasize and instill in you and get you to buy into and be a part of is that God wants to initiate something in our hearts for the people of southern Maine. He wants us to have a burden 
for the lost. He wants us to be so ignited with passion like the early church that God moves and something truly amazing happens. Because with so many things pulling us in different directions, so much noise in the world right now, we need to have an awakening to that original message, to what has been drowned out. The simplicity of the gospel. It can be hard to keep that message of the Great Commission front and center in our mind. So many voices saying this is important and this is important and and we need to draw battle lines and you can't associate with those people. We need, we make much of things which ought not to be made much of and we lose sight of the simple, powerful message of Jesus. Which when we come back to that, when we take hold of that, hearts are going to be transformed. Lives are going to be transformed. And what we see in Acts, we're going to see here in southern Maine. I believe that with all of my heart. That's what scripture tells me. And that's what we've seen throughout history is that when the church comes back to a desperation for God, he moves and he initiates. It's divine initiation. The ministry to the Gentiles was not something brought about by man or woman. Peter wasn't planning that. Cornelius was just at home doing what he knew was right. But God said, there's something more that I want to show you. There's something, there's a next step that you have not taken yet. Nobody was thinking about this at the time. Christianity at this point was something for Jews. It was a further revelation and a fulfillment of what had been promised to the Jews. Nobody was preaching the Gentiles at this time in the church. They were going into synagogues. They were going to people who understood the history of God and the prophets and what was being taught. So God did something new that no one was expecting and had to come from God. And the second thing that we see that's divinely inspired is that he told people what they needed to hear. To Peter, he sent the message that Peter needed to hear. To Cornelius, he sent the message that Cornelius needed to hear. And when God calls you to something, and I don't know exactly what it is, but I know that if you're sitting in this seat this morning, and if you're watching this video this morning or later this week, God has a purpose and a plan for you. He has a ministry that he's calling you to that we talk about often. Your platform for the gospel. Whatever community you're in, whatever voice you have that's unique to you. And he's going to give you the means and the tools and equip you to do that. Sometimes, though, he's going to have to rewire some things. Sometimes he's going to have to put new batteries in. Maybe you're running on old batteries and you just need to get recharged. But God wants to use you, church, in amazing ways. 
God was already using Peter. We've, as we've gone through Acts, we've, we've talked about his sermon at Pentecost. God, Peter was doing uh, amazing things, but God had something. He said, here's what I want you to do. I've got something else, something next. Here's where I'm leading you. Are you willing to say yes and to go, even if this isn't what you're used to? And sometimes we get caught up doing the same thing that we've always done when God has something over there, something that's been untapped that he wants to lead us into if we're willing to step out, that he's prepared in us and called us to. But we like, we like what's, what's over here, what's familiar, what we know, what's safe. We, we're good at it. We've done it for a long time. We have the script. But God's saying, let's, let's go. If we're talking about gathering fruit, there's an entire orchard over here that no one has touched. Same thing for Cornelius. He said what Cornelius needed to hear. Nothing more. Peter's like, I don't even know what's going on. I don't know why you called me. I don't know why God is telling me to go. We'll figure this out. That's terrifying, right? When you don't know what God is calling you to, and you're just kind of taking... You get the idea, what I was going to do there, but I don't, I don't need to call EMT, right? He's calling us to step out. And Cornelius said, God told me to send for Peter. I hope you know what to do. We're building the plane as we're flying it through the air. Isn't that amazing for people to see a plane being built as it flies in the air? If I'm watching that, that's amazing. And yet when we trust in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to give us the wings. So God told the people involved exactly what they needed to hear. And this has been the pattern throughout history. Throughout history. Jesus ascends up to heaven. Everyone's kind of, oh, that's, that's nice. You know? And they're just standing around Waiting. And the two angels are right there. Okay, let's get to work. Throughout the history of the church, it has always been God leading, God inspiring. Also, God, if God does not start this, if God is not in it, we shouldn't want any part of it because it's not going to succeed. If you look, uh, I believe it's in, in Acts chapter uh, 4, where they're before their Sanhedrin, Peter and John. And one of the, one of the, one of the Sadducees, uh, Gamaliel, he says, look, I know, I know these people are causing trouble, and I know that they're disrupting the status quo, and I know they're saying things, and they're gathering a following, and I know we want to silence them, but 
we just need to leave them because there, there were other people and there were other movements that had come along in the past. that were of men and died out. But if this is of God, we can't stop it, even if we want to. And so I don't want to be part of a movement of men that's going to die out and fizzle. I want to be part, I want all of us to be a part of a movement of God that can't be stopped even if people try. Because he's in it. And I think of what Summit has done over these past years as we've tried to live that out. Where we just kind of go and take the next step and say, God, if this is not of you, you're going to close that door. And he leads us through over and over and over and over again. And when it doesn't make sense, he's there. And God, may we be faithful to that. Because even though there is divine initiation, even though God starts it and speaks that word and plants that seed in Peter, there is still personal hesitation. So there's divine initiation. God starts it. When that happens, we face personal hesitation in a couple different ways. Peter faces this. Because God is starting something new. And like I've said, when, we, when God leads us into a place that we've never been before, it's scary. And we want to pump the brakes and say, hold on now, let's committee this. Right? Because nothing slows down a movement of God like a committee. But, but we feel good because we get to talk about it and plan it. And I like white, writing on a whiteboard as much as anybody. I'll arrow and underline and outline but there's times where we just need to go despite our hesitation. We love telling God what he cannot do. We love reminding God of all of our limitations. God, do, do, you might have missed last month where I was totally slacking off. God, did, did you miss that part? In Peter's own example, in verse 14 of chapter 10, when God shows him something that is new, verse 14, he says, but Peter said, by no means, Lord, Lord, just to help you out, by no means am I going to do what you're telling me to do. I'm going to help you out. By no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. God, I'm doing this for you. I'm disobeying you for your benefit. You don't want me to do what you're telling me to do because that's going to be wrong and I'm going to disobey you. Sometimes we are worried about stepping into where God is calling us because of our personal righteousness that we're interested in protecting as opposed to just simply following and obeying. God, I don't want to do this because it could be different. The second thing, the second thing in verse 28 that Peter uh, points out, just, just very graciously, he says, uh, when he gets to Cornelius' house, just to remind them and just to, just to 
blow everyone's mind and kind of his own because he's, he's got to talk himself off this ledge. In verse 28, and he said to them, everyone's gathered around. They're ready. He's gone. And he says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or even to visit anyone of another nation. I can't even come to your house. What is God doing? God is breaking down all of the barriers and all of the idols that we've put up around our faith. Where we say, this is what my religion, this is what my faith looks like. I'm not supposed to do this. I'm not supposed to go there. I'm not supposed to talk to them. You're off limits. Twice. Twice, Peter points out his personal hesitation. But he's seeing and he's cluing in. And we give Peter a bad rap, I know. But he's, he's so faithful, right? Sometimes he doesn't understand. I think sometimes his name is called Peter because he's a little hard-headed and he's just stubborn, but he just goes with it. Back to verse 28. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. All right. I got to throw out the playbook. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to scratch everything that you know about how you've been living out your faith for the past however many years and say, maybe God's calling me to do it this way? Maybe I've had it wrong. Maybe I've been so concerned about trying to do what I think is the right thing because I heard it once from some person who said something and now I'm stuck with this as the right way to do ministry. I want God to set us free from the, 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 the boundaries that we've placed around the way that he can operate. Are you following me? Do you understand what I'm saying? I think we get stuck and how we heard at one time that ministry is done this way. Living faithfully and obeying God is, looks like this. But it's simple. And Peter understood and saw that God was up to something and said, okay, I'm up. I'll go along for the ride. Now, this personal hesitation hit kind of home for me last week and I shared this with the youth group and so now I've got to share it with you uh, because well I, I, I you know I deal with shame a lot and so I'm trying not to just live in my shame but I so let me tell you a story overthinking things uh, last week we were here and I had to go back to South Gorm to pick up some things and uh, and so I was driving down 114 back to Sogo, and I passed this guy. Is it, we, we all remember how hot it was last week, right? So this guy is walking down 114 towards the center of Gorm, and it was 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning, and he had already had heat stroke. Like, I could just tell. This guy had the look in his eyes. His hair was something. 
no shirt, loose pants that looked like they were about to fall down, and he was glistening with sweat. And it was in that moment, driving by, where I got the, I got the prick. Has anyone ever felt the prick? Oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And you're like, no, no, no. We're not doing this right now. I need to go to Sogo and pick this up so I can get back. For the for context, context, context. I always forget to include context. So the, that prick that I'm talking about is, is when the Holy Spirit gets your attention and says, hey, I'd like to do something here. Would you like to come along for the ride? No, I'm not above the height limit yet. I don't have enough inches to ride this ride. So I go to Sogo, I do what I've got to do, I get everything that I need to get, and I turn around and I come back. And you all know, it's there, it's going to still be there. And sure enough, baggy pants, shirtless guy, is walking. And I know in my mind, I could pull over. I could, I could so easily, right on the side of the road, hey, where are you headed? You want to come to church with me? Rocket science. Absolute chemical formula. And I have to say, and this is a time of confession, and I'm being honest, and I've repented, because I, in my heart I know. But I told myself, because this is what we do, we like to play verbal judo with the Spirit. If I bring this guy to church, and he sits in that middle school auditorium, there's going to be a revolt. Why did you bring this guy in here? Look at him. Like I said, I repented because I know you're good people and you would love him and welcome him and someone who had an extra shirt would give him a shirt. Okay? But, but I drove. I drove right by. And I, rationed my, I rationalized it in my mind. That's a dumb thing to do. That's unsafe. You're crazy. He's going to say no. He's high. He's on drugs. I can give you 10 more reasons why. It would make perfect sense to just keep going. You don't do that. You don't find someone who's walking in the heat of the day on the side of the road and give him a ride. That's not sensible. That's not practical. And I told myself, if my family was in the car, absolutely not. And yet, and I've got to say, and yet, isn't that just the thing that the Holy Spirit would do? And I don't know what that story might have looked like. And I don't know that guy's name. I don't know that I'm ever going to see him again. But I shared that, I shared that with youth group because I wanted, I wanted to, be, to, to be transparent that, that I make mistakes and that I don't always get it right and I don't always follow. And McKenna was, was, was gracious enough to remind me that, yes, that was a huge mistake and I should have brought him to church. So good to know your youth group is holding your youth pastor accountable. Um, they're... they're high bar 
Think of the danger. You don't know who this guy is. Doesn't he need Jesus? As much as anyone else? And it made me think of a story that I love in a line, uh, at a lion and witch in the wardrobe. Is he a safe lion? Safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. Our God is not primarily concerned with our safety. I'll say that right out. He is going to call you, he's going to call me into situations that may or may not be dangerous. And if I am not willing to put my safety on a line for the sake of the gospel, then I am doing a dishonor to all of the martyrs who have gone before me and all of the martyrs who are living and putting their life on the line for their faith today. Not saying that we need to be foolish. <laughs> Hear that. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> it looks like foolishness. Absolutely. I get that. 100%. But hear Peter's words. What God called him to. God, this does not make sense. That's okay. Go and do anyway. Go and do anyway. God wants to do a work and he needs to prepare our hearts. He needs to prepare our hearts. He needs to peel away the layers that have built up of comfort and safety. I, I, I use that story in youth group because we, we've been going through uh, a book over the summer called Goliath Must Fall about different giants that we face in our life. And that particular week last Sunday was about how the giant of comfort must fall in our life. Where we have this giant in our lives of comfort that is so overwhelming. Don't do anything to make me uncomfortable. Don't put me in a situation where I have to talk to people that I don't want to talk to, that I have to go somewhere that I don't want to go, that I have to give up something that I'm not willing to give up. And we miss out on so many blessings because we are not willing to be uncomfortable. Oh, that we would not let our hesitation get in the way of what God wants to do. But this is the testimony of the church. We will take anyone from any background and bring them together. I cannot be bothered to say that someone is not worthy of hearing the gospel. Who am I to say that man on the side of the road didn't deserve to hear an invitation to come to church? I didn't know his heart. But I think of how God brings us together in this church and in his church. I think about this story of, of 
the, the Gentiles being welcomed into the body of Christ, which was so revolutionary. It was not even on their radar, and yet God brings them together and tears down walls and tears down barriers and says, no, we're going to be on the same team. I have a question for you. Does God answer prayers? Not a trick question. Does God answer prayers? Yes. Good. We're, we're on the same page. Because there is a prayer that, that, that God put on my heart in John 17. It's Jesus' high priestly prayer. That he prays for his disciples to be one. And I'm inclined to think that God has answered that prayer. Do we always get it right? No, 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 no. But when I look at the arc of the church from conception to present day, I see people brought together who would have nothing in common. People that would be openly hostile to each other that God has used to paint a mosaic taking individual pieces, tiles that are chipped and broken and don't match, but to create a picture of something that is beautiful that can only be done by his hand. This artist, this craftsman who said, I'm going to take you from over here with your background, and I'm going to take you from over here with this background, and I'm going to take oil and water and just mix it together, and the world is going to see that and going to be amazed because they know you have no business dealing with these people. And I want our church to reflect that. Where despite our differences, we are so united in the cause of Christ that God does something. Because despite a personal hesitation, when the gospel is preached, there is gospel transformation. What is divinely initiated, right? Divine inspiration, despite personal hesitation, there's a gospel transformation. There's a transformation of Peter, whose heart gets changed. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I will become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. He says later in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Peter's heart and his attitude towards this people group was transformed by the power of the gospel. Cornelius is also transformed. He was a good, God-fearing man. He believed, but he was not fully Jewish. He was just God-fearing, which was a term for the time at Gentiles who followed Jewish teaching, who followed scripture, who believed in God, but were not fully uh, um, proselytized, is the term, into the Jewish faith. When he prayed, God heard and responded. God heard his prayers, and he led Cornelius the rest of the way. He said, Cornelius, I've seen you be faithful up to this point. Here's what's next. I want to show you what's next. I want to give you the next step. In verses 5 and 15, the groundwork for this transformation was laid. 
with these, with these visions, with God preparing and showing people, hey, here's something different that's coming. All these things that you used to know, this food that was dirty and unclean, rise, kill, and eat. You're going to be eating with Gentiles now. I'm going to change your trajectory and your identity for the sake of my name and my glory. The gospel was preached. That's how hearts get transformed. That's the only thing. Peter's, Peter's sermon really is, here's this guy Jesus. You've heard of him. You've heard what he did. He died on the cross. He took away your sins. He saved you. Verses 34 to 43, there has to be a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. There has to be a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. That is what is going to take away people's sins. Once the gospel is preached, the spirit worked. And I love this because Peter's in the middle of his message and he's, he just gets right interrupted. He's moving along, sharing the gospel and the Holy Spirit does its thing and he, you know, can I finish? <laughs> and I thought, about, I thought about it and I didn't ask for it to happen but I, I wondered what that would be like in the middle of this sermon <laughs> if the Holy Spirit just wrecked everyone and, and I didn't even get to finish. I suppose I would be okay with that. If God wanted to do that, I would be okay with that. But the hearts of the people are transformed. Look at verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they asked him to remain for some days. These people had gotten a taste of something that was good and wanted more. When you really taste something that is good, you go back for seconds. You want more. One is not enough. When I taste God, I want more of Him. These people had an experience and they were baptized with the Spirit and then they were baptized with water and then they said, let's keep going. Finally, there was a transformation in the corporate, in the church. And we'll see that in chapter 11 as, as it goes back to uh, Jerusalem where people heard what happened and accepted. As this story unfolds, we see barriers coming down and hearts being broken and God moving. And I believe that God wants to bring down the barriers in this area. Barriers between the church and the community. Because I look, I look at where we are situated. One of the most unchurched regions in the country, in the nation, where people are not not openly hostile to the church. They just have no interest in it. They want nothing to do with it. And there's a barrier there because they have this, they have this understanding, they have this concept of church in their mind that we just need to break down. And I want to see people in these seats that never thought they would darken the door of a church. And I know they're out there. And I know that we know them. Not only barriers between us and the outside, but barriers between each other and ourselves. 
conflicts and divisions and things that can cripple the church, things that are crippling the churches today across this country. I think God wants us to be unified. And finally, in that, as those barriers come down, we see corporate affirmation of what God did. Facing opposition to something new or different is, is standard in the church. We had that experience from someone who visited our first uh, disability event earlier this month. She drove up from Rhode Island to sit in and, and, and observe because she went to her church with a, with a burden and a heart to care for the disability community and was not really given the time of day. And she prayed, God, I am discouraged. I don't know what to do. Why are these people not responsive to this? And she came to just sit and to see. And we're building that plane as we fly. Like, I, I can testify to that, and I know Mark will as well. But this was someone who encountered opposition to what made sense to her. God, I want to serve these people and I want to reach these people. And why is my church not hearing that and getting on board with that? And she got frustrated. We're going to face that. Internally, from, from outside... Anytime God has wanted to move, there's been people who would rather not see that happen. But I praise God that we are seeing it happen. I praise God that we are seeing that happen. Peter goes back to Jerusalem. Some people were upset. They had heard what happened. And tradition pushed back. People who knew how to do church. People who knew how to do Christianity. In verses 1 through 3 of chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. What is wrong with you? That is not how we do things. But Peter began and explained it to them in this order. I, I didn't do anything. This, God did this, right? Are you going to argue with God? The tradition that they thought they knew and how they thought this was going to work pushed back against something that was new. But once the church saw the evidence of God working, the critics stopped talking and the church started praising. When we get on board, when we buy in, when we are aligned to the call of God, to the mission of the Great Commission, like what we've been talking about and why we've been in the book of Acts, because here we see the mission spelled out so clearly and so simply. We don't need to go over in this direction or over in this direction.
My prayer for us is that when we see God start moving, we don't push back, we start praising. And say, God's going this way, I want to go this way too. Let's jump on board. I want to I ride this train to wherever God is taking it because it's going to be awesome. I want to read that in verse 17 of chapter 11. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, if they get Pentecost just like we get Pentecost, right? If God's going to save them and reach them the same way that he reached me, If, God, if then God gave them the same gift, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Whew. Who were we to get in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And this isn't something that we lord over people. Hey, I'm right. God's on my side. You got you to gotta get on board. This is not, that's not what this is saying. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God. They glorified God. That is the response of, of his church. When we see God doing something, God, I'm going to glorify you for what you're doing in this place. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Amen. Hallelujah. Because they're talking about you and me. I'm not Jewish. This is me. This is me getting into the kingdom of heaven. I will glorify God for that. To wrap this up, we have a divine initiation. God starts something. We face personal hesitation, it's a little scary. But then we see gospel transformation that nobody can argue with, which leads to corporate affirmation. Yes, let's praise God for what he's doing. God wants to do a work in us as well. He also wants to do a work through us. God longs to see people saved in southern Maine. And he's going to use you and he's going to use me, broken as we are, to do it. Will you join us in living this out? Will you join us in praying for a divine initiation to send dreams and, and lay the foundation for these people even before we say a word to them where their hearts are ready to receive? God did it once and he can do it again. So I'm going to call the worship team up to close as we get ready to, to land this. Church, this is not about playing a game. This is not about playing church. This is not about coming and sitting and being comfortable week in, week out. This is about lives that are at stake for all of eternity. that God wants to save. 
the church in Acts looked like it did because they had been with Jesus. They experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm saying this over and over and over again because this is all there is to it. When we trust the Holy Spirit, when we trust Christ, He makes a way. The Holy Spirit is calling you. He's calling us. And everything that we do, I want it to be about making much of Jesus. Every activity, every program that we are involved in as Summit Community Church is about pointing people to the gospel and to the cross. Jesus died and rose again for our sins. And that is the promise. That's all you need. It's enough. That is the promise of hope and life for the lost. So corporately, can we affirm that? Can we say yes? Can we follow as, can we follow the the church of Acts as they followed what God was doing? Can we go along for the ride and say, I want to be a part of this? This transformation that God is doing, that God is working. Can we start something? Can we see this here? Can he awaken me? And so they're going to sing one more song as we close. It's going to be Cornerstone, which is Christ. Christ is our cornerstone. He is the everything hinges on. He is the foundation for this. And so I'm going to be down front. If you want prayer, if you just are asking God, would you awaken in me like you did in Peter, like you did in Cornelius? We invite you to come down front and just pray and offer God and lay that sacrifice down and say, I'm willing. Let's go. Whatever you're calling us to, yes. I'm game. I want to be a part of this. I want something to be different. I don't want to just go day in, day out, week in, week out with nothing changing. I want to see a move of God in my life and in this place. So Father, as we as we go before you in worship, Lord, I pray that you would awaken us. God, that you would would touch whatever hesitation we have. Lord, that we would be open to hear where your spirit is leading and that you would empower and equip us to go and to do and to be. Lord, that we would proclaim boldly in the face of opposition your grace and your truth and your gospel. God, that you would lay the the groundwork, that you would already be preparing hearts. Father, I pray for the names and the faces in our minds right now that we're thinking of. Lord, would you initiate a conversation, an opportunity? God, we want to glorify what you're doing. We want to see you doing something amazing in this church. 
Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.